The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Lieutenant Tibbles, how are you? How are the kids? Oh, you know, sir, I just, you know, well, the Imperial health plan wouldn't cover little Timmy's surgery, so uh, we, we've really been trying to scrounge up. Whoa, to- hey, Tibbles, it's a party. Chill out, man. Have some have some java juice. Oh, yes, thank thank you, sir. I've, I've, I've had three already. Good, good. Have another. Have another. The dark side. Come on. That's us, right? Come, we're on the same team here. I'm just like you guys. I will need your quarterly reports before life day. However, um, <laughs> where's Jenkins? Jenkins is always alive for the party at these things. Oh, Jenkins, sir. He, uh, he, he was on Alderaan. Oh, that Alderaan? None other than. Oh, I guess I must have, he must have missed the memo. He was too busy listening to the Dark Times podcast. Welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Wampa. And I'm Steven, your favorite Tauntaun. Oh, you're going to freeze before we hit the first marker. <laughs> then I'll see you in hell. Uh, uh, no, you won't, Steven. You'll see us here in the Dark Times podcast. Hey, what's the difference? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're playing it fast and loose this episode. Yeah, we're real, real loosey-goosey. We're, we're regular fucking Saturday Night Live up in here. You, you, you've got big, like, senioritis, like, last day of school energy right now, because... You know, because after this episode, it's two weeks of, you know, no me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm finally liberated from uh, from whatever the hell it is you think you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) We have some feedback from last week. Yes, we do. Lil Literalist says, I think that core book plus one other source book would probably be good for some campaigns, especially ones that are geared towards a particular class. Galaxy of Intrigue is the noble book. Unknown Regions is the scout book, etc., but there are character options for other classes in these books. Except Jedi Academy Training Manual, because screw someone who doesn't make a Force-sensitive character in that type of campaign. So if you're running a gritty campaign with smuggling and lots of Underworld stuff, just use Core and SMV. It's not just the book for scoundrels. SMV being Scum and Villainy. Yes, of course. He's right. Yeah, I agree. Scum and Villainy is a great book also. That's pro- it might be my favorite. I'm not Scavenger's sure. Scavenger's Guide just... to Droids is pretty up there too, though. Well, it makes droids, like, playable. <laughs> It makes playing a droid uh, fun and easy. Conceivable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little Literalist continues. Miraluka are great. Prime candidates for predictive defense. Oh, I didn't even think to mention predictive defense last time. That's that's a good point. I had one player who rolled a three for a stat during character creation, and he put it in decks as a Miraluka force user, then took feats and talents to do away with most of the weaknesses. He did roll a negative initiative a couple times before he grabbed force intuition, though. Boy, that sounds like something we're familiar with. Here. <laughs> it really does. That's so our funny. Poor, our poor, our one of our big Miraluka Jedi characters never could roll above like a ten on initiative. Maybe not even above a seven. Like <laughs> it was, it was bad. She was last pretty much every combat. And I think that player. She was also like, wow. I, you never realize uh, how much Dex impacts the system until you <laughs> until you build a character that has bad Dex. And to this day, she like derides D20's (laughs) obsession with the deck stat. Like she hates that so many systems put so much on the deck stat, including like defense attacks and initiative all on, on decks, which I mean, there's there's feats and talents for that stuff. Exactly. And that's why I tell her. And then she grumbles about something in Pathfinder. Well, 
P2E does let you use any skill for initiative, which is really cool. So, Sorry, so but this cool. isn't the P2E Times podcast. Maybe one day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, don't, never. Don't say that. Legends bear a striking resemblance to depictions of a flying spaghetti monster. I, I have not thought about the flying spaghetti <laughs> monster in quite some time, but that's, yeah, that's correct. I thought I that was a funny related. inclusion from the literalist. It was, you. it was. For viable build featuring Sledgeons, I feel like you would need to go with a force wizard or noble buffer. When I first read this comment, I was like, buffer for what? Like, what are we buffering? Like, what are we buffering? But, but he means buffing. You like, fucking fool. Yeah, I know. I know. Best to grab. I think it's improved telepathy technique to let you communicate in full sense. Yeah, because no, normal telepathy, it's like basic ideas and thoughts. Yeah. But then is that like, is, is that the, the true for Sledgeons as well? Like, do they only communicate in concepts and, and simple thoughts? No wonder he's a shit teacher. <laughs> Was it Master Ubu or something? Uru or something. Master yeah. Uru, who got well, he was a martyr who saved the whole planet. <laughs> yeah, rest his soul. Yeah, but it was you who pointed out that his Wikipedia entry specifically mentions that he was a worse teacher than this other guy. <laughs> <laughs> Why would his Wikipedia page say that? I Imagine just, you you are a respected Jedi master who martyrs themselves, and your Wikipedia page ends up saying he was not as good a teacher as his Padawan. Who grew up to be a better teacher because he could speak full basic. <laughs> Amazing. If you want to speak basic, you've got to get a 14 int reduced down to a 12 with species mods. There's no one plus int mod for starting languages. Oh, okay. Yeah, we so were wrong about that last We week. were wrong about that. So it is a number of languages equal to your int mod, not one plus your int mod. I think which. it's one plus if you take the linguist uh, feet, I believe. Oh, I think you're right. It might be three plus, but it's it's, it's at least We're one. We're checking now, <laughs> you piece of shit. Yeah, now we have to check. It is one plus your int for linguists. So yeah. that's where I got I got hung up on. So yes, for uh, for any species that doesn't come with basic, which is not many, but a good portion of them, uh, you'll need an int of 12 if you would like to speak and understand basic. Lil Literalist continues even further. I've got my own interpretation of how auto fire sweep works. The cone orientation and placement can be anywhere, but the shots are still coming from your position. So anything that would have had cover still has cover. You just have a lot more area that you can affect a lot more. Yeah. I think last week I may have implied that you can like snake your way around cover with auto fire sweep or something to that effect. Or maybe this was about uh, Zloy's build, but Lil Literalist is absolutely right. Uh, the shots are still emanating from your position, so cover should still be determined from where you're shooting from, not the area you've chosen to affect. I definitely think I felt the opposite way before, but now after after this little explanation, I think I've changed my opinion yet again. It's interesting with the cone size, where like, where do I determine the range if I'm shooting more than twenty? If I'm shooting more than zero, uh, sorry, not zero distance, zero more than distance. Point blank. <laughs> Then my shooting is like the first square in point blank and the rest of the square is in short range. Does that still count as point blank range for an auto fire attack? I'm looking up auto fire sweep right now. Auto fire sweep specifies that the origin square of the cone can be any square in your line of sight within point blank range. Oh, okay. That's yeah. so cool. So easy peasy lemon squeezy. It's very specific for a swissy feat. Yeah. Well, it has to be. Otherwise <laughs> it it's game breaking if it's not. <laughs> What do you mean? It's the Legacy Era campaign guide. Game breaking is not a concern. Wamp, wamp. I can't wait for an RPG to come out and have it like be like, if you don't buy this book, you're immediately weaker than every other character in the that's, game. That's literally how uh, starts with that number is. Really? Yeah. 
Because you're like the well, it's I'm I'm I mean joking around. Yeah, of but course. The base core rule book is meant for like more realistic, squishy yeah. main characters, and then he has like the heroic rules in a different book that you pay That's money fair, for, yeah. and like it's it's. It's more so that the setting is pitched as a gritty kind of low power yeah. situation. It's it's not. And I wouldn't complain about no, that. No, no, no. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. make Get that bag wherever you can, my like friend. Jerry Seinfeld reference. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Little Literalist continues. Stephen O's says the cone is a total of six squares in area. Well, based on information and pictures in the core rulebook, I think a six square cone is much bigger than that. But. That's just what me, a guy on the internet, says. And speaking of old British guys, you remember the story of Owen Stevens talking about that old British lieutenant who speed ran his Saga Edition scenario? It's not a story the Jedi would you tell you. Beat me to it. You can't set up your own joke, Stephen. That's <laughs> what, what. What else do we do here? <laughs> I have heard this story. Me I too, think. vaguely. I, I heard it on the Order sixty six podcast. I think, or Rodney Thompson told it to us off mic. Or <laughs> yeah, he might, that might have been where I heard it. Yeah. He might have told it to us off mic. <laughs> or Lil Literalist told it to us during the time we interviewed him. That might be it too. Or it was at least like a combination of those three. But I, I do have the very basic parts of this story memorized. Basically, Owen Casey Stevens, lead designer of a little RPG called Starfinder, who also contributed greatly to especially Starships of the Galaxy, but many, many Star Wars Saga Edition books, uh, was running a simple Swissy one-shot scenario at a con. I think it was Gen Con so many years ago. This was early in Swissy's lifetime. Before the dark times. Before the dark times. And there was a there was a, an older British gentleman there. Uh, I don't remember him being a lieutenant, but I, I guess that, that works here too, with his wife. And he was like, right then, what's all this then? And <laughs> It's like I'm there. It's like I'm yeah. at Gen Con right now. I can feel it. And he had never heard of D&D or RPGs before, but, you know, Owen gave him the, the basic rundown and apparently blasted through the little encounter that, that Stevens had written, like, faster than anyone had at all of Gen Con. Just completely obliterated it, like, the, the tactics part of it, which is just so funny to me. How, I wonder if that story's real. Gotta be real. We should have Owen, Casey Stevens. We should get Owen. I keep forgetting that we should totally get Owen. We could totally get He's so busy with all his other cool stuff, though. He's he's like not, though. He tweets a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but he usually tweets about the cool stuff he's working on, Stephen. I bought, um, for Christmas, like, two years ago, I bought our friend uh, his 52 in 52 supplement, which is 52, like, things, like, whether it's a class or, like, a magic item that's compatible with Pathfinder 1E and 2E and D&D 5th Edition. That's released uh, every week for 52 weeks. I think year. I followed him on Twitter while he was working on that. Yeah. The <laughs> thing is, is that like COVID hit right when he was starting it. So it ended up not really being a 52 and 52. It was more of like a, you got like three and like a span of a month and then there'd be like a break. And then it was totally out of whack, but still really cool and a great value. It was only like 20 bucks. That's rad. And it was just a nice, it was like an advent calendar, but for RPG supplements. 52 week long advent calendar. <laughs> our friend would end up using a couple things in our Pathfinder campaign. They kind of got the books, the official books ended up catching up to Owen pretty quick and ended up kind of overlapping. There's like some cool blood magic. There's like a buster sword supplement. Oh yeah. Super cool. You just want to be the, the Pathfinder podcast so bad, don't you? I, I don't know what's with the tangents today. I'm, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. We like your tangents. Thank you. They accentuate your edges. <laughs> That's funny. 
That's really funny. Yeah, a little math humor out there. Steven, huh? this is very much a casual, this is like the casual end of the year podcast we've yeah. got going on here. Yeah. And I figured it's been long enough to where we could talk a little bit more about some zero distance stuff. We had oh, a yeah. session last night. We had some action, so. some serious action in zero distance last night. The first in, in a while, which was good. Yeah. So there was a lot with our session last night that I wanted to cover to an extent on the show, mostly because that was probably the most like intricate encounter I've, I've ran in saga edition. You know me, I always love seeing how far we can push the initiative track in, oh, yeah. in saga. Cause the, the, the core rule book's very clear, put everything on the same initiative track. It doesn't matter. It can take it. It's all good. And thanks Jerry Seinfeld. of <laughs> Dude, I would love to be the Seinfeld of saga edition. Do we want to give him like a rundown of what the, what the story so far is? Yeah, I'm I guess. struggling it's to been put, a while. Yeah. I'm struggling to put this in order, but zero distance follows a clandestine mission of a spec force fighter squadron through the outer rim. You guys have a special mission, mostly collecting sensitive materiel to take to a ultimate and classified location between empire and return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a few months leading up to, to empire strikes back very much early, like, pre-alphabet squadron vibes yeah i was kind of going for more like a, a galactic civil war alphabet squad like peak of galactic civil war alphabet squadron but but not alphabet squadron yeah really cool uh you guys have had a few conflicts you recently evaded the empire just barely with this frontline conflict on uh ryloth and before that you were kind of fooling around with the zon consortium on hypori we also lost Atorn on Ryloth. Rest yes. in peace, Atorn. that's where we lost Atorn, sam's first character who's now been replaced with dev debo uh, a, I think a, an excellent, a excellent replacement. <laughs> an incredible foil to my previous super serious, like guy who wants to be the leader of the strike team who can't be the leader. Yeah. Atorn was like an upstart fresh out of the Imperial Academy, like recruit, like really, really had, had bright, sparkly eyes and, you know, a real, real kind of a bit, bit of an attitude to him, but he's he, was like, a, he was a good boy. He's like, if Luke had like a pedigree. Yeah. Yes. Precisely. <laughs> and he went was, on to join the, like the with bigs and everyone. Yeah. He was like, if Luke had a Mandalorian pedigree and like an attitude about it. And oh yeah. Very good. But, and Dev, well, I mean, how would you describe Dev? He's your Dev character. is like Andy Dufresne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he was a Duros. <laughs> Dev is like our Duros heavy weapons veteran. Yeah. He has, Plenty of stories about being in an Imperial work camp or Imperial prison. Yeah, he's very seasoned. That's why that's kind of the trait that that really puts him apart from Atorn is that he's he's really got the experience, but and, but a, not not really a upstart attitude about it. More of a more of a grizzled life advice giver. He's great. He's really great. And so we've recently uh, rescued some Imperial recruits. Yeah, there's some cadets you guys from saved cadets. from a black hole. And in the process, we've ended up like one of them survived or two of them survived. Two of nine. And yeah. one of them was like the daughter of an orbital station. What, what did you call him? A quartermaster? He was or? a commodore. Commodore. He was a yes. logistics officer. Yeah. And, you know, by long story short, he and his depot are in possession of a, of a greeble that you guys need. A MacGuffin. You, a MacGuffin even. It has a bit. It's a, it's a. A Magrito. A Magrito. <laughs> a McClunky. A McClunky. Fuck. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and yeah, so you guys construct this elaborate kind of three pronged plan over two sessions, like about six hours of real nitty gritty, like no combat, yeah. just like role play and 
plan of attack stuff. Yeah. And there, there was lots of planning in those two sessions. There's also like some interpersonal like ship drama that we acted out too. And it, I, I think it had a really good blend of, of both. Uh, but now the time came to actually enact those plans. So there was, like I said, a, a three pronged plan kind of masterminded by your, your commanding officer, Sigil, one of the player characters. Let's set the scene. Yeah. It's an orbital station attached to a moon. Yeah. It's it's got a, it's dangling from an orbital satellite into the the upper stratosphere. Incredible, by the way. I Thank love you. the concept. We had uh Sigil Akvejne, mm-hmm. our Death of Mary Witch. Our Death of Mary Witch yeah, commanding commander. officer. Yep. Decided she filmed with the assistance, uh, unwilling assistance of the surviving daughter of the Commodore. Yeah. A like <laughs> Like a ransom, a ransom video. video. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a ransom. She dressed up as like a scary bounty hunter and and made a super shocking and and terrifying ransom video. And then this was the first prong of the plan. Put that hollow recording in a a ship, some old dune lizard you guys had lying around, and then you shot off that to the other edge of the system and made a automated like you. I had you droidify some part of it so it would automatically broadcast that ransom message towards the direction of the Imperial Depot. That was the first step of this three-pronged plan to attempt to draw forces away from the depot. And it worked. Uh, a little behind-the-scenes peek here for you, Sam, given this. I'm going to pull back the fabric a little bit here. Look at that. You like that look good to you? Ooh. Ooh uh, yeah. A little a little sheer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I, I reduced the encounter level by whole one step. Thank God you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to be a, uh, oh God, what does the, what does the niche call it? Um, I can't remember, but it was going to be a, Really tough, hardest one you guys have faced yet. And then I took that for, I think it was extreme or something. Yeah. The, yeah. Whatever they call the yeah. severity of the encounter. Yeah. I took it from extreme to hard. Cause I was like, that's real good. Really well done. Very, very impressively thought out. Yeah. Really pushing like the moral boundaries. I thought about a dark side point for that one. And I still might give a dark side point for you that one. You weren't actually ransoming her. No. And we I did, guess we did drug her. You did, that's the thing. You did drug her. To, to make her unconscious for the, the video, which felt, I'll be honest, felt really weird. I was a little uncomfortable at the table, but, um, you know, we're all, I don't think she needed to be unconscious for that. I, I don't know why they, we made her unconscious for that. But you made her unconscious, uh, in the off chance that she had some sort of secret code she could communicate to her, to her, uh, that's fair. Her, her, her rescuers. <laughs> it sounds worse. The more we talk about that's the it. Thing. It, was a, it was a really kind of almost, I don't want to say nasty, but it was like, but she wasn't giving us many other options. No, she wasn't. She was being very, um, I mean, she was a teenager, but like, she was also being very, <laughs> very resistant to your rebel tampering. Yeah, exactly. Our second part of the plan was our other commanding officer above Digilac Vejne. Yeah. Uh, Commander Fanrot. What's his first name? Commander Kath Fanrot. Fan yeah. He's a Bothan alcoholic. People are going to think there's something really wrong with the campaign we run. <laughs> no, they're going to be entranced by the storytelling and these cool characters we have. Steven. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's He's a Bothan raging alcoholic. He's got a lot of issues. Ex-Imperial, Ex- maybe. We're maybe. Not sure. It's vague. Um, I almost gave it away right now. <laughs> glad I did it. I keep it a secret. Yeah, I know. I know. But it, we do have some players who listen to the show, though. Yeah, also. yeah. That's the thing. Um, he, he's got a very complex and patchy, sketchy past and he's overall just not a great coworker, but yeah, he's has, is former Bothan spy, very well versed at infiltration. So he volunteered to lead a strike team to the heart of the depot. You guys had a Sentinel class shuttle lying around and some old Imperial clearance codes that we say strike team. It was a team of two. It was two people. <laughs> it was two people. It was Fanrot and a player. 
and this part was interesting because I realized pretty quickly, oh God, me, Steven, the DM, is one GM, whoa, is one half of the party for this particular part of the mission. I'm going to be the face because the player, uh, Kitch, is a roadie and he elected to go as a prisoner doing the classic Wookiee on the Death Star oh, situation. Yeah. And Fenrot was wearing a holo shroud to disguise himself as a human. So I realized I would just be talking to myself between <laughs> Fanrot and the Imperial officers for the whole goddamn session. And I really didn't want to do that. So I got with Sam. I did something that I've wanted to try for a long time. And it turns out Sam did too. Oh, I, I'm so happy we did this. I was like, Sam, can you role play a character for me <laughs> during our next session? And we sat down, we had a Google doc. I, I just, I picked, I picked the veteran Imperial officer from DOD I said I listed out some motivations and just some things that would he would respond really well to if if offered. And Commodore, what was his name? Oh, gosh. Grand Lomic. Grand Lomic. Commodore Grand Lomic. And I was like, Stephen, first of all, hear me out. It, this man is middle aged. He's portly. Yeah. And he's Irish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sam was like, I can't remember the message you sent, but like, I want to try out a cool Irish accent. I'm I said, like, can, yeah, I sure. pitch a, can I pitch an Irish accent to you? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> you said, yes, absolutely. So Commodore Grand Lomic was born. <laughs> Clara Lomic is his daughter. <laughs> and she's the girl that they have. We have ransomed off to him. Yes. And he was stressed because with the, the triple whammy, the, the three pronged attack, he had just heard that his daughter's ransom video was being broadcast at some far corner of the sector. And he just heard that there was rebels approaching his little depot and the big bads fleet was on, on his way. way. Yeah. yeah, it was was imminent. And some random ISB agents coming up with a prisoner saying he has a transfer. Yeah. And we had a whole funny little segment about like, oh, you've got the right. You have the the, the code. You have the papers you need, but you don't have the updated papers they sent out last week. Yeah. Eh, yeah. OK. <laughs> Sam. Uh, Sam is a is a consummate improviser and is. Consummate. <laughs> Right word. Yes, that's the right word. Okay. You're thinking of conjugal, which you are. You are not a conjugal. Well, it's not really my business if you're a conjugal improviser. <laughs> what a weird episode of the Dark Times this week. They're, they're talking about conjugal improvisation. <laughs> Staying in. Not it's that staying, kind of. Yes. Not that kind of podcast. But it could be. <laughs> patrons keep pa- an eye out. Patrons keep an eye out. <laughs> The conjugal times. The, the conjugal times. No. Yeah. Uh, Sam is a very skilled improviser. So that's why I knew they'd be the best one to approach uh, with this question, uh, with this task, really. And I kind of expected most of the rest of the session to go like this, us kind of riffing and trying to negotiate something. But then two things happened that were really interesting. You had the idea to separate Fanrot and the prisoner player character Kitch. Of course. Yeah. Genius. I didn't tell you to do that. I was an ISB agent and there's a prisoner. I don't, he doesn't need to go take the prisoner to the quarters himself. I've got two droids here specifically yeah. to do that. You had two cake series security droids. You're like, great. Perfect. Mike security droids will take the prisoner to somewhere, the depot or whatever. You fan rot can come sit down in the mess hall for some tea or some coffee. This is yeah. my, this is my orbital station, sir. You don't get to come in here and tell me how to run my station. I am the Commodore here. I do things my way. Was the thought process I had. It was amazing. It was amazing. And upon hearing that, your commanding officer, Sigil, the Dathomiri Witch, back on the bridge of your flagship, the Serendipity, was like, okay, strike team out now. Like, fighters, <laughs> fighters now. They're not getting separated. Sorty fighters, yeah. go, come on. Yeah. We can't let this happen. And I was like, oh my God, that's so smart. Because I was basically, I was just trying to bait 
Sigil to as, to throw the fighters so I could roll initiative and we can just get on with it. But it happens so quick. And then right after that, fighters are sorted. You, Dev, you're, you're, you and your character, Dev, yeah. and then Tully have a fighter, a support fighter squadron with them and are just slamming. Chirodactyl those, squadron. Yeah, Chirodactyl Great squadron. name for a squadron. Seriously. That was also Sigil's idea. Uh, just slamming those outer turrets. You're attracting some attention of some tie interceptors. Heavy hitter with proton torpedoes. Insane. Ooh. Even though I rolled two net ones in the whole session, it was still an incredible, like we took out three, we took out three turrets and yeah. heavy hitter for those unfamiliar. If you go over the damage threshold and move them down to step on the condition track, yeah. they can't attack. Yeah. And they also, you know, lose a move of one square of movement, but for turrets, it doesn't yeah, matter. Less relevant for a, a stationary enemy, but still it was masterful you guys were just picking that station apart it was great and then something else happened kitsch turns to fanrot and says hey let's split up <laughs> and i'm like oh my god like <laughs> well you had a lot of ground to be fair we could see the we could see the playing field yeah the, the, the orbital station we had plants and everything yeah there's a lot of ground for two people to cover it was it was i intentionally chose a pretty big map to just to to go after because I also wanted a lot of just room for fucking around and, and, <laughs> and finding out. Yeah. And finding out. I originally designed that encounter of you all st- like storming the, like doing a bit of a Trojan horse situation and having a big drawn out encounter kind of in that big spacey depot. I ended up liking what this way better. So yeah, that, so there goes one player without even trying to fix the problem I was going to have with the entire encounter role playing both his guide and every enemy. So bingo bongo. That was nothing. And then this is when we pushed the initiative tracker to its absolute extreme. So let really quick, just to, just to cover everything. We've got two players and fighters in the air. Yes. We've got two players on the flagship doing support stuff from a distance. Yes. And we have one player on the orbital station itself while the station is rapidly losing integrity from being bombarded with proton torpedoes. Yes, I presented my players with three, uh, three bars, three meters, really. Uh, one was station integrity. Uh, every time the players damaged uh, any portion of the station and their fighters, station integrity would decrease between 5 and 15%. It was random. So fun. Then there was a success meter. And then there was a failure meter because, hey, baby, it's a skill challenge. Yeah, it very much felt like a skill challenge acting concurrently with the combat. And I always wanted to do this. Like my only problem with skill challenges that I've when it came to running them, we, you know, we talk about the, the theory white room skill challenges all the time. But I always struggled to truly get every player involved and make them feel like they really are doing something because sometimes it's like. I can get a skill challenge that engages like three or four of the five players. And the other ones are kind of just rolling to get plus twos to yeah. hand out, which is fine. But like, it's not as in your face as one player on their own skill challenge and everyone else around them frantically trying to make sure that they succeed and that it happens. And with no like boots on the ground, it's nigh impossible for us to like interact in any real way with the battlefield. Yes. It's insane. I, I was great. I'm glad you enjoyed it because I, I was not sure how running a skill challenge alongside a traditional turn-based combat would go, um, but it worked amazingly. I, I was worried. I'm always worried that I'm going to give one player too much time or too much spotlight and like forget about another portion of the party. But party was split three ways and I was really, I felt really happy about how my time and attention was. Split. You had all those plates spinning in the air for sure. Oh man. <laughs> Boy, were I was fine. But like after that session, I was like, Ugh. I was like, Oh my God. But yeah, and the um, 
the two players on the the Serendipity, the flagship, were cool too because they were really making heavy use of those Galaxy at War special orders and officer duties that that make such shit so dynamic. It's incredible at Starship level to be granted an extra move action just out of nowhere. Like, oh my yes. god, I can. I can run away. <laughs> that happened twice. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you or Tilly were caught in a hairy situation, which happened because, you know, they only kept deploying more and more. The, uh, when the Thai bombers came out, I was like, okay, the Chirodactyl squadron's like almost done. Yeah. And Tully's almost, uh, Tully's A-wing is almost out. Yeah. I'm at full health and shield still for by some miracle of RNG Jesus yeah. will. <laughs> I, some miracle you were taking 10 and dodging like with vehicular <laughs> combat like you were fine but then things got serious when i put that tartan class patrol cruiser on the board which i i detected it's hard to tell over discord right but i detected just a little bit of mutiny from the party <laughs> when i brought that out because i was like oh yeah i brought it up from the gm layer on roll 20 i was like oh yep oh look guys a patrol cruiser a bit of saltiness from yeah the and like i heard it in in our friend uh, our friend's voice where she was just like Oh, really? <laughs> She's like, oh, really? Is that, is oh, that the- a whole patrol crew? Yeah. Oh, they were just coming back from patrol, huh? Yeah, I, I, I do think that was funny. Uh, part of me was like, wouldn't we have gotten this information about this patrol already? Or wouldn't we Maybe. have known when they would have come out and come back and stuff like that? I would have. The only thing I would have changed was given a warning to you guys on, on the serendipity. Yeah. Been like, oh, hey, next turn, it looks like a patrol cruiser is coming back in. Well, you know. Yeah. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. It was fun. Just, you know, like, hey, bruh. I, oh, I should have just said it came out of hyperspace. It, that's what I thought you said. Did it, oh, did it not? I just kind of said it. It just up. arrived. It makes sense mentally for it to come out of hyperspace. Yeah. I was so focused on running the other, like, crazy, like, Rude Goldberg machine of, <laughs> of encounter that I was like, oh, uh, patrol cruiser. Uh, and yeah, Tully was the one who got they got burned pretty bad by that thing because those, those things eat up fighters for, oh, for yeah. breakfast. Oh, yeah. And so we were just like, uh, pull back, go yeah. back to the ship. Yeah. 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 That's because you also lost a member of your support squadron as well. Uh, Cairo six, I think. What Dossic. sucks about having such a tight knit uh, crew on a starship is that the NPCs, you kind of grow attached to. And if they were nameless, like rebels, that's one thing. But the fact yeah. it's like, yeah, these are two twins that survived crashing on another planet. And yeah. we, we saved them just in time then too. And yeah. There's a whole emotional story with how like, oh, they were kind of abandoned by Trandoshan society because they're like twins or whatever. Yeah, because I think I think I made this up for Trandoshan. It was they were um, they had a birth defect. Yeah, they were. Um, they, it was bad luck that they were twins and they also had a birth defect. So it was like they were like their their parents were like, no way. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. See ya. He said, I think I had it that like they, they explained that kids like them were usually just eaten. That's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because I, I like lizards and lizards <laughs> can be really fucking weird. So I, I make the Trandoshans equally weird. Plus, like when I see a Trandoshan, I see like classic, like atomic era sci fi, like lizard big man. rubber suit. Dude. Yeah, yeah, I see exactly. big rubber suit lizard guy because that's what he is and or what they are. I was thinking of Bosk. But yeah, Bosk, yeah, yeah, I was thinking of Bosk. Yeah. Too, He's right here with us today. Actually, Bosk, you want to say a few Hello. words? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, next interview is Bosk for sure. <laughs> Forget Owen Casey Stevens. Yeah. Forget Sam Whitworth. We're getting Bosk. <laughs> so fucking funny. I wonder if the suit guy for Bosk is still kicking. Uh, where were we? Bosk transitions. <laughs> so uh, let's 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 uh, tighten the scope back into the internal combat that was going on inside the orbital station. Yeah. Uh, Kitch, our Rodian 
scout, uh, scoundrel scout yeah. had gotten separated, had willingly separated himself with yeah. a few handy smoke grenades. I think killed <laughs> an engineer. Was yeah. like <laughs> straight up snuck up to like a, a control officer to Could get access. his ass. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, he's like distracted and under distress and you're perfectly stealth. Do you want to like coup de gras right now? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like body underneath the desk. Yeah, I was like, it's a guaranteed double damage. Like it's a, it's a, it's a guaranteed crit. You can go ahead. He's, he's like, like oh, yeah. he's like non-heroic three or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he's dead. The dude's dead. <laughs> it was, um, it was super cool. Kitch was rocking that shadow skin upgraded thin suit, which really, really cool. Which if you think about what they look like, it just looks funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he was, we were having a bit of a Metal Gear Solid moment. It was cool. He did this really cool maneuver where there was one of the security droids was coming for his ass. I had a turn on the initiative for the interior imps and then the exterior imps and the tie interceptors and shit. He, this was so cool. There was a KX security droid that found, it rolled perception high enough to find the body that he hid, but not find him. So I had to pause in the middle of the session. I was like, what the, what? Like, how do I even go about this? I just had that big spindly KX series security droid arm reach under that desk, grab the corpse's foot (laughs) and like pull it out and just yank it out and be like status murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And then the stormtroopers, the stormtroopers over there like, ah, fan out and like, you know, all that shit. And then Kitch pulled this cool move where he threw a smoke grenade. He brought plenty of them. Very happy that he requisition. I like, didn't know that he even brought him. To I didn't honest. either. I just saw that he finished gear requisition. I didn't look over specifically. He got like six smoke grenades, which is really, really smart. No gun, six smoke grenades. I'm just proud that I've made a campaign in which smoke grenades have been very clutch. Like I just, ha- I'm happy to provide that level of tactical rigor, not to toot my own dude over here. <laughs> Well, when you have the stealth pilot not in his ship, he's like, I got to find ways to stealth somehow. (laughs) It's ingenuity at its finest, especially from a Rodian. Like, it's great. They're creative folk. He tossed a smoke. He left a mine. Yes, that's what it was. He left a mine. He brought an anti-vehicle mine with him, set it up underneath the desk, tossed a smoke, booked it from the desk, remotely detonated the mine, knocking over the KX droid, and then darted out the room. (laughs) Just incredible stuff. And then Sigil and Yegor, the two on the Serendipity, our flagship, yeah. hack in, use remote override special They use a orders? remote override command special order, which is a plus 20 use computer check. <laughs> and they wanted to see if they could remotely hack into the, the depot station systems. And they were successful. I think they ultimately rolled, they had a few other bonuses. They rolled like a 44. Yeah, I think it was like a 39 Yeah, also, it was something stupid high. And I was like... Yes, this is happening. And then I, I made Diego improve access one more time after that. So this was pretty hard to do. And I was honestly worried I made it too hard, but he still succeeded. All the while, the party's accumulating failures here and there. Sigil has the idea first, but fails. And I count that as a failure for the skill challenge. There was some sort of second failure that happened. Oh, mm, actually, was it Diego failed? Yes, Diego failed again too, to, on the access, same, to improve yeah. access. Yeah. So there was two failures before you guys finally crack in and have remote control of the station's vital systems that like surveillance, life support, lights, doors, the works. I just say you want it to happen. It can happen. Overload a conduit, electrocute the whole room. Knights the Old Republic style. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they find the computer files to find out where the cipher is. The, the McClunky. Yeah, the McClunky. <laughs> Kitch was able to narrow it down to two of the six cargo bays. But then with the help from the serendipity, they got it down just to one. 
And what do they see as soon as they check the visual security cameras on they that? check the surveillance in Cargo Bay 5 where the McClunky is and the mysterious force warrior known as Axios, who has a strange connection to Sigil. And might be a clone. We're not 100%. Might be a clone. It's a little weird. Pummeling the ever-living snot out of Commander Fanrot, who is clutching desperately the, the cypher, the McClunky <laughs> that you all came here for. And Axios is... I got like a cool Spartan armor thing going on. Yeah, I based them off of the old like expanded universe Imperial Sovereign Protectors. They've got the cool crimson armor. They've got the awesome double vibro blade. They've got limited force powers. I, I kind of make them. They're like dragoons from Final Fantasy. That, that's that's what they do. They jump up and then they jump down. Diversity win. The force sensitive clone uh, enforcer is non-binary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so. I ramped up who was going to show up based on how many failures you guys occurred. Oh, yeah. <laughs> first failure was was bunk. No, I, I nothing. I, I think first failure was I was going to throw in the Tartan cruiser or something. Yeah, like I was going to just, you know, fuck you. <laughs> Second failure was that Axios is here at the depot. I hadn't decided whether or not they were going to be here, but. Second failure meant they're here and they found Fanrot if they split up from Kitch and they did. So bingo. Third failure, we found out at the end of the encounter that Big Bad's fleet, the Crimson Command, is here now. But back to Kitch, you know, be Kitch. You've got your objective. Finally, yes, Cargo Bay 5, we're finally here. Door slides open thanks to the remote hack. (laughs) What do you see? Your commanding officer floating two feet off the ground, clutching his throat, being choked to death by some weird, like, imperial, not quite Sith, force-sensitive person. Yeah, yeah. Person you've only maybe seen once or twice before and have heard horror stories from. Yes. Your commanding officer who can kind of see them. They're kind of a diet in the force, but maybe not. We don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing. You're, you're Kitch. You're the Rodian scout scoundrel. Mm-hmm. I think he's just scout, actually. I don't know if he's a scout scoundrel. Scout scoundrel. Yeah. You're 10 squares away <laughs> <laughs> from the commanding officer, Fanrot, and the enemy combatant. That was something I've been trying with game mastering lately, where I, there's a pretty straightforward sequence of events, right? Okay. Party needs the thing in the locked door. They unlocked the door. They're going to go to the door. I always am trying to find what's the weirdest fucking thing that they already know about that I can throw in here. What's the what's the dramatic twist to the door opening that they the last thing they expected to see. And that's why I've had a lot of fun doing with Axios, the the force sensitive warrior is just putting them in places that massively inconvenience the party, massively inconvenience the party, because this dude is strong. Like they're the only character in the campaign that actively uses force powers. Sigil is force sensitive and uses some force powers like insight and that one um, enlighten enlighten and sometimes uh, fold space on vehicles, which is so cool when it happens. We talked about tank warp already. It was, <laughs> oh, so good. And they, they also use the the force sensitive starship maneuver, too. But that's like it. There isn't no one's like force gripping and, and force and move object. No battle or, strike, no move object. Yeah, none of that. And that's exactly what Axios is geared for. So. Eventually, you know, I say eventually, but it was a few seconds later in, in game time. Let's let's jump back into it. Yeah. Kitch is too far away from Commander Fanrot to save him at yes. this moment. Yes. 
the uh, Dev and Tully are in fighters. Tully's retreating with Pterodactyl Squadron. Yeah. Dev is hiding in pollutants outside the station. Yes. Getting a cover bonus, stuff like that. Yes. Yegor and Sigil are on the Serendipity, have moved the command ship in closer to help the other yeah. squadron mates kind of reboard and Desperately stuff like that. Desperately slamming those increased vehicle speed rolls. Yeah. yeah. And we are at two out of three failures to and one away from getting our objective. Yes. What, what do we do? Seven of eight successes ready. <laughs> Two, three of three failures already triggered. What do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Sigil gets a grand idea and she exploits her diet in the force with Axios to force grip them remotely from the serendipity. Through the screen. I'll, uh, you know, you failed me for the last time, Admiral Piet. Yeah. Yeah. Our player is like, hey, I can get any force power for like, like instantly if I spend a dark side point, right? Which we're doing with uh, as a house rule, I think you're doing. Yes, and and which is partially correct. You can get any dark side force power, and it was force grip is what is what she wanted. So yeah. like that's like an honorary dark side force <laughs> power, depending on For how sure. you use it. And we also agreed that that rule extends to any force power, not just dark side force powers, because I really like when players get dark side points. It's called the temptation of the dark side for a reason. It sure fucking is. Not very tempting if it's only a limited suite. Like, come on, give me the yes. Anyway, I digress. Sigil immobilizes the enemy with a force grip through the dyad, through the surveillance screen. Not clear which one. They share a few words, some mysterious exchange. Axios claims that Fanrot's a greater danger to Sigil than the Empire ever could be. Kitsch, ever the opportunist, sprints over, grabs Fanrot, jumps on the shuttle, and is out of there. And then the encounter ends right there. As the Crimson Command... Is like exiting yeah. hyperspace right here. As Big Bad arrives in the system about a 10 minute flight from the party. I like I like cliffhangers. What can I say? I like I like keeping you all on your toes till the new year. And we did all that in three hours. Yep. And that took three <laughs> hours. What just incredible. It was it was a really great session. Thanks. Thanks. I'm really glad you liked it. because I was trying a lot of new stuff all at once and it, it really all clicked together. And I'm happy to hear like the DM side of it also, because you don't usually get that as a player. No, but it's nice afterwards to talk about it and go through it. Seriously. And I love showing you the tricks that I pulled at the table, because sometimes I'm, you know, laying down these tracks as the train's going. And other times I'm, <laughs> I, I really feel like I'm doing something smart. But yeah, fantastic session. I, and I also like going into it. So for, for the audience, too, because I, I love inspiring. It's not every day you can hear both sides of, of an encounter at the table. You know, except on like Reddit, I guess. <laughs> hear it, hear it. Yeah, hear it. <laughs> Folks, we were going to talk about like dark side transgressions here more because we had a really cool encounter just barely carried over by the f- over the finish line by a clutch use of a dark side point, which honestly, that's that's exactly what they're for. Like, <laughs> that means you're doing it right. Yeah. But one thing I did want to say is, you know, and this is this is an old adage, but it's worth repeating. No one at your table, especially you, should consider dark side points as a form of punishment. You know, a dark side point is just another stat on your character sheet. This player saw the resolution to a difficult encounter and they decided that it was worth it to spend the dark side point. We did. We were sat. We sat there for like five minutes. Yeah. Thinking like, how are we going to get a, it's like either we all leave and then kitchen fan rock get captured. Yeah. Or kitsch leaves fan rock dies. Yeah. We, the mission failed. Yeah. We head back to the serendipity. Yeah. This was like our only feasible way of completing the mission. Yes. Yes. It was, um, 
Oh, I, I meant to tell you guys leveled up. Of course. Hell yeah. One. Yeah. That's I meant to, I meant to share that with the party, but yeah, I'll, I'll tell them later. <laughs> um, probably just wait till. Yeah. Gore, if you're listening. Early. Yeah. <laughs> you leveled up. <laughs> yeah. The dark side's a resource. Players should see it as one because I gave you guys a huge pickle. I didn't know what the solution was. I was like, yeah, strongest enemy in the game right there between <laughs> you and the objective. Oh, the rest of the party's pulling out. Well, y'all will probably figure something out. Kitch originally had a clutch plan to try and get a nearby ATST and just step on Axios, which would have been entertaining. <laughs> but, um, but I don't think he would have been able to do it without Fanrot dying. No, was I, don't, the thing. I don't think he would have either. Fanrot was in a was in quite the precarious predicament. Quite the four script pickle right now. Quite the four script pickle. But yeah, and then, you know, a player saw a way through, got took the dark side point and was proud to do so. When your players are back into a corner, yeah. lack of resources, lack of time, like, what are you going to do? And that's what happens when you go ham on their asses. That's what happens <laughs> when you throw in complications at the last minute. Like I would be at your Axios or, you know, a bulwark blowing apart into the vacuum of space suddenly, like... It's all about taking it to the next level. I love putting that cherry on top of complication because that's the ones that really get my players going uh, and start thinking. And those tend to be the most memorable sessions as well. Absolutely. You mentioned blowing a bulwark into space. There was another session in our Wyvern Squadron campaign where Darth Vader was in the room with us. Yes. And that's one of those things where... Well, I know he lives till the end of the <laughs> till the end of the trilogy, so there's nothing I can do here. Exactly. Um, and we ended up like at the last minute just breaking the glass in like a conference room and sending us all out into space with Darth Vader. Yep. And yep. there was it was an incredible like what the fuck are we gonna do? But I still remember it like three years later, you know? Oh yep. god, has it been three years? <laughs> Probably at least. <laughs> And I'm sure many of our players would remember those moments as well when we're backed up against the wall. One quick thinking, like super sudden, incredible play. You yeah. know, I don't know what the, if this was if there was a chess.com like analysis for Saga edition, it'd be like brilliant. You took the <laughs> brilliant move. You you took the objective. You captured the queen, you know, traded favorably. Not to put it in chess terms. No, as no. If, as if this podcast couldn't get nerdier. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Rodney said, you know, everyone's fought six goblins <laughs> in a field. Yeah. It's time to it's time to start putting twists in there. I guess we'll uh, we'll get into our break now. We've got a nice little surprise for you on the end of this other other end of this. The other uh, other side of the break. The only way out is through the rest of the Dark Times podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the break. And thank you. And thank you. Always. This it's the last the, episode of the year, Steven. It's the last episode of the year. What an amazing year it's been. 53 episodes. Not this year. Not, <laughs> not this year. But, you know, it's it's we have like a full year. You could listen to us every week out of the year. Yeah. Now. Do you have is, a favorite episode of the Dark Times podcast? God, then? that's so hard because there's so many. And Pick I Pick between all 53 of your favorite children, Steven. And I barely remember like <laughs> a week ago, let alone like. Yeah, that's fair. By the way, he wants to start. The, he wants to start the Dark Times Wiki to help us keep track of <laughs> shit we've already. Covered. I try and make sure the descriptions are pretty apt on what we cover that week. Yeah, you I, do, you do a great job. I'm not gonna lie. I think this episode would be a top five. I'm calling. I'm this calling. One, this one felt pretty good. I'm Babe Ruth calling my shot halfway through the episode. Like this is a top fiver for me. One time there was this this girl I worked with who I, I really looked up to. Yeah. Um. And she caught wind that I had a podcast. Mm-hmm. She didn't play Swissy, but she played like other RPGs. Mm-hmm. 
and was just really into like fiction. She was like dating this, like she, she is dating this, like fan fiction author of prominence, like for sure. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, well, like big yeah. competition. <laughs> right. And then this person, um, this person really loved storytelling, just stories in general was very much into like analysis of, of stories and all that. And we did that murder mystery episode with little literalist with little literalist. Is that with little literalist? Well, he talks about doing the murder mystery, like oriented express. Yes. That one. No, we talked about doing our own, like, and it was our intrigue episode. Yes. It was our intrigue episode. I love our intrigue episode. And cause she, she caught me on my lunch break and she said, I just listened to your intrigue episode it was amazing. What what a careful and these were her exact words. What a careful vivisection of the murder mystery genre. Fuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> like that that's in like top 5 compliments <laughs> I've ever received. So yeah, I'd say I'd say intrigue up there is up there for me quite quite a bit. Our interview or the, our intrigue episode was pretty good. Oh, and Rodney, of course. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Come on. That barely okay. Counts. Sorry. The, yeah. Uh, the Rodney Thompson interview is probably my favorite episode we've done. That's number one for sure. Yeah. But not including that. I'd probably say I like the one where we did the level one characters. That yes. was really fun. Yes. That was a good one too. I really enjoyed that. We, um, maybe we should do some more of that. Defying Dawn of the Defiance of the Dark Times was really good. That was when we, we concocted the Dark Times module on there. Yes. Yes, we did. You're right. You're right. That one's a really good We should do a whole episode on breaking away from Dawn of Defiance. That, oh, yeah, because yeah. we're pretty much pros at that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, I've, I've sure. done it like twice. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's I, I noticed online it seems a very popular way of going about is playing the first like three to four modules of Dawn of Defiance and then finding your own story, which I, I think is an amazing, amazing thing. So, yeah, our Lego Star Wars episode was really good. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. What a, what a cute theme. It was great. Was. It, it was amazing. It had incredible timing into it. It was just, it happened. It fell, that, that one was your brainchild. It too. fell into one. our laps of convenience. It was like, wow, the episode comes out like the day before the game comes out. Let's do it. It was sick, man. Ooh, we should definitely do something for Jedi survivor. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. Ooh yeah. I, I might be, uh, close with the, uh, more popular Cal Kestis stat block out there. <laughs> might might know the guy who threw that together on the Swissy Weekend. Oh, it's gotten like last time I checked, like three or four comments saying how cool and good it was. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Anyone know the creator of the of the Cal Kestis stat block? I want to reach out. Maybe he deserves an interview. Man, it's it's I honestly it's hard for me to pick of our episodes because like. The one we did about the spice must flow. That one's really good. Our, our episode that you did about like spice and stuff. Oh, and spice Wars, and dr- yeah. yeah. The drugs one. I really liked the drugs one. Uh, two fire extinguishers and a poncho is a good one. I love a big fan of our the, stealth, the episode. stealth episode. Yeah. 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 That was, uh... <laughs> oh, man. oh, I still need to, I should have, I, I didn't make Kitch crawl, crawl through a vent. Well, not yet. That was, yeah, that's true. We there's, can still, there's got still time. Future. Got, a, got a whole, got a whole adventure ahead of us. You know what? Everyone should send in their favorite episode of the Dark Times podcast. Oh, hey, that'd be cool. I'd love to hear because I, I we don't get we get feedback, right? But not like specific feedback about like what show you liked and why. So, yeah, yeah if you want to reach out, tell us what your favorite app was. That'd be that'd be amazing. We can make, get, get a good list going or something. Dark Times, SWSEOGMA.com. You know the one. 53 episodes. <laughs> wow, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't think we'd make it past 10 or 20. Well, I think when we first started, Buzzsprout sent an email saying like, 
how to deal with pod fade. It was something like, yeah. did you know most podcasts only last 10 episodes and then stop? And I'm like, that's stupid. We're yeah, already on like, like 12. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember reading that pod fade. I'm like, really? Cause I feel like I can do this shit <laughs> a long time. And now you're like, I want to stop. No, please. it's not that I want to stop. It's just, you know, a, a hiatus would be nice. Yeah. We're, we're kind of, um, I mean, a couple, a couple weeks, maybe a month or so to kind of regroup our thoughts. And yeah, I've got a new job coming up too. And I might need some time just to like sort that out. It's going to be a big change to my life and, and all that. So yeah, maybe one more bounty and then we'll do a hiatus. I think, I think that's a, I think that's good. And Steven, uh, as much as we love the support from the listeners, let's talk about the, our gratitudes towards the support from the patrons. Of course. I mean, the patrons are out here giving us money. They're hard earned cash to do what we love. And uh, I, I, for the cost of one Jawa juice a month, <laughs> you too can support the dark times podcast. And it's, you know, I, I'm, it's a huge honor to, and especially these, these dark times yeah, exactly. where money's tight and you know, the world's very uncertain that people still find a 10 or $5 to send our way to make sure that we can continue to make them happy over the airwaves. And there I've, I've never been the recipient of a higher honor than that. Uh, so sincerely, Thank you to everyone out there supporting the show, either monetarily or with kind words you say on the internet. Um, if you are on the Patreon, though, subscribe for three months, you get a shirt and a sticker or a sticker, depending on which tier you're on. At the $10 tier, we're still working with Patreon to get the shirt and sticker on there. But don't you worry if you're entitled to if you have a shirt, you're entitled to a sticker. Once the holidays are through and all the chaos of the mail system kind of settles down, I'm going to take it in my own hands. We're going to get some stickers printed and get those out to you guys. Cause Patreon does not want to fix their website or at <laughs> yeah. least can't or something, uh, something they're giving us the runaround is really what it is. Really, really getting a bit of a runaround here, but uh, it'll be fine. It'll all work out. You, there's also a few other goodies for you. Uh, there's some nice, cool, like secret classified document templates on the Patreon for you to enjoy. There's a couple maps. I made an Imperial hanger. That's on there. That's pretty cool. Really cool. I love still my favorite hanger I've seen online and I've seen a few hangers online. Well, I fucking, I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like and I made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It even has an elevator on it. Yeah. So hope look those, out. The, those are the smaller details that kind of get missed. Egresses. When people make egresses. More. It's number five on the, <laughs> the counter design checklist. Well, it's really a throwback uh, break segment, isn't it? <laughs> I, I live by and recite the encounter design checklist every day of my life. <laughs> How can I achieve the five points of the encounter design checklist today? My guiding principles for living. And of course, patrons also get to vote on our build showcases, which, you know, Sam and I, we don't choose a favorite. It's not really a contest to us, but patrons get to pick their favorite and the victor gets the honor of victory. Yeah. And maybe a spot in our, our bounty bounty. There's a super tournament on the far, <laughs> far deep horizon. Absolutely. Every, everyone's all the, the, the whispers through the grapevine through the under levels of Coruscant about this super cool tournament of champions for these bounties. Might, might, um, Steve and I have thrown around an idea about a, I get a little trophy idea maybe for, uh, Ooh, yeah. for a, a winner of some, of Absolutely. some sort of bounty. Yeah, no, that that'll happen. The dark times is a community platform. It's so much more than just a podcast to, to Sam and I, it's a, it's a place where we can advocate and highlight, uh, the, the and best inspire. and inspire, uh, the best of the saga edition community because Lord knows a multinational publisher sure as hell isn't going to pick us up. So <laughs> We got our own backs. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast has abandoned us yeah. by the wayside. <laughs> and what's the other, what's the one that does the destinies or the, um, the new Star Wars system with the proprietary dice? Oh, Fantasy Flight. Yeah, Fantasy Flight. Is well, we don't own. want them anyway. Yeah, they're not going to look our way after what we set up so one. 
<laughs> that's true. That's true. And that's why I think it's all the better. We don't depend on a corporation to tell us how to have fun. We, yeah. We, we can we tell make... our own corporate stories without them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in the spirit of, of community platform, please enjoy after this break, a guest segment from community pylon, Lil literalist. Hey, dark timers, Lil literalist here known on the streets as Steven. A lot of the advice on this show has been targeted towards GMs and newer players who are inexperienced with the system. But for the seasoned veterans, this segment is for you. Game balance has been mentioned before on the show, but to set the context of the rest of this segment, I'd like to give my take. Do whatever your table finds fun, as long as everyone is having a good time, including the GM. For most tables, Everyone having a good time includes each PC having their own opportunity to shine. After all, most people don't like playing second fiddle to someone with main character syndrome. They like to know that they are a vital member of the party and that their contributions are valued. And this works best when all of the PCs are fairly close to the same level of balance. This allows the GM to challenge all of the PCs without having an outlier PC who is either far too strong or far too weak for their encounters. But it may be difficult to have every PC at the same power level if you have one or two experienced players at the table and everyone else is new. Sometimes, you as an experienced player can help others build their characters or give them advice and suggestions in order to bring them up to your own power level. But let's focus on you right now. What happens if you find yourself playing a PC who is significantly stronger than the rest of your party. Here's how you can avoid playing an overpowered character. Now let's say that despite your best efforts, you came to the table with a build that is far more powerful than the other player characters. In that case, point two about not playing an overpowered character. Adjust your level ups. As you adventure together with your group, you'll quickly be able to pick up on how powerful other builds are. You'll listen to other players describe what feats or talents they have, and you'll pick up on how much damage they're doing. And you can figure out, yeah, my build is doing a lot more damage. If you see other players reacting not just to your crits, but also to your average capabilities, saying, whoa, how can you do that? Or, that's crazy. How's he doing so much damage? If that's you, then you may need to adjust how you're going to move forward with that PC. Abandon your build path. Don't keep on making your PC more and more powerful with the most powerful character options that are just going to widen the gap between you and the rest of the party. Take some slightly less optimal feats. Stall out your progression a bit to give others a chance to catch up. And you can also ask the GM, hey, can I adjust my character? Can I fix my build so that it's not going to constantly steal the spotlight from other players? A lot of GMs will say yes. Most GMs that I know will let players adjust their builds if they aren't happy with them for most reasons, even if it's making the build more powerful. I imagine that even more GMs will say, yes, you can absolutely power down your build to match the rest of the party. Again, it's about making sure that everyone is having a good time. And I think that if you just explain that reasoning to the GM, they'll be gung-ho for it. The third point about not playing an overpowered character is really touching on points one and two as well. These are some ideas on how to build a PC that's not overpowered. In general, builds are considered overpowered when they do something really, really well. So instead of doing something really, really well, try doing something moderately well, and then branch out into other aspects of the game. Specialists are very rewarded in the system, so become a generalist. 
if you grabbed Rifle Master and you're doing tons of damage with a heavy blast rifle, then instead of focusing on dealing more damage or increasing your attack bonus, maybe focus on your HP and grab extra second wind or toughness. Or maybe even grab a couple of skill training feats. Ooh. Do some things that are still useful, but aren't going to put you over the top in that thing you already do well. Uh, here are some aspects of your character that you can improve as alternatives to what you do very well if you're looking for ways to despecialize. Uh, you can flex into piloting. Grab the pilot skill and vehicular combat, and you can now serve as a decent pilot. Develop your social skills to become the backup party face, or your technical skills to become a backup mechanic, or medical skills to become a backup medic. You can boost your HP and tankiness. You can focus on your threshold and defenses, particularly your will, which is used far less often than your reflex defense. You can focus on supporting others. You can look at other weapon groups, or backup weapons, or exotic weapons. You can look at situational bonuses, or things that will come up, but not every round. Things like throwing grenades, for instance. Uh, you can improve battlefield mobility and getting around better. And you can get some abilities that improve your action economy. Or even grabbing some abilities that will allow you to use force points more effectively. Those are all ways that you can improve your character, but also spread yourself out a bit more so that you aren't hyper-focused on doing one thing really well. Now, it's important that if you want everyone to have time in the spotlight, you don't over-specialize and become better at a particular aspect than another PC who's dedicated to that, and that's their thing. If you're a master gunslinger and you've boosted your dexterity out the wazoo, and then you decide to improve your piloting, then make sure you don't become a better pilot than the dedicated party pilot. Remember Bodhi in Rogue One? I think that most people better remember him as the pilot. That's the line that he kept repeating. I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot. Now imagine if Chirrut Imwe grabbed force pilot and vehicular combat and suddenly became better at flying than Bodhi. The pilot would be redundant. Don't do that to your party members. Although I will put in a slight caveat that your party might want multiple ships or the other pilot might want to fly a starfighter, so multiple dedicated pilots might actually be okay in your group. But for a lot of other things, slicers for instance, maybe not as much. And there's a reason why I keep saying backup backup party face, backup mechanic, and so on. If your party members just dabble in something, then sure, dive as deep as you want. If someone is just trained in treat injury so that someone would be in the party, then don't feel like you need to hold yourself back much. But if they've introduced themselves as a medic and that is their thing, then maybe don't go further than skill training. That would defeat the whole purpose of despecializing in the first place. You could also still focus on your particular area of expertise, but challenge yourself by building around some less optimal feats or not picking up some feats that are considered essential for your build. Imagine being a Jedi and not picking up skill focus and use the force until you go to the mid-levels, or being an auto-fire specialist without burst fire or auto-fire sweep. You can also just make sure that you aren't abusing combos. A simple combo is return fire, combat reflexes, and second strike. It's practically written out the rules, but there are new people every year who discover it for the first time. 
Same thing with grapplers or conditioned rack killers, but those take longer to ramp up. Breaking up synergies is a decent way to despecialize your PC. Point four of not making an overpowered character is to make a build whose role is not going to steal the spotlight, even if it is overpowered. For instance, one of my favorite talent trees, the Master of Intrigue talent tree, has a great talent progression that allows you to really support your teammates. Everyone loves the guy who has rapport and is giving them plus four to their next attack. That's a guy that you can totally make and you can boost it. You can grab a Powin species. You can you can do all sorts of stuff. You can go into all the crime lord talents that give actions and everyone loves that guy, even if he's going to be a more optimized build than other people. You're using their own power. You are almost by definition at their power level. If you're a Jedi, then grab a bunch of uses of Enlighten or Force Light or Force Valor, you know, those powers that hardly anyone gets. Or <laughs> maybe you, uh, you grab Force Boon so that you can have more Force Points so you can deflect and block blaster bolts that are headed for your allies more often. As a soldier, grab some of the talents that let you take shots for other people or control the battlefield using uh, builds that force enemies to do things. These types of builds are not going to be objectionable because they're not taking the spotlight. They are fitting in to the narrative and the other player characters are still able to do their own thing just as well. You're helping them do it better, though. And now we start to depart from what you can do in your build, and we start focusing on what you can do outside of it. Point five of not playing an overpowered build is to help the GM with your weaknesses. Tell them about the things that they can do to help counter your character. These might be aspects of your build, like if you have an implant without implant training, so you struggle with a condition track. Let your GM know that any NPC enemies that can send you down the track will be super effective against your PC. Or perhaps you just highlight for your GM that despite taking levels in Scout, you didn't take evasion. Or point out that your force powers are all 12 squares or less. Or that you don't have any ranged weapons. If you know that you won't be able to completely tone down your PC, and that they'll still be a little more optimized than other PCs, I'd encourage you to strategically include these in your build. And try to make these weaknesses something that isn't common to every other PC as well. Telling your GM that a Rancor would be easily able to grapple you and eat you doesn't really help them. Or saying that they aren't good at talking to people when the highest charisma score in your party is a 10 is just helping them counter the party as a whole, not your character. One of my favorite dump stats is Constitution. Not because it's a good design decision, not at all, but it creates a weakness. Every PC is vulnerable to damage. But dumping constitution makes my PC far easier to take down if the GM decides to focus on me. You can also create some more flavorful weaknesses that aren't based on mechanics. You can tell them, you know, my PC is very trusting of others, so you can have NPCs lie to him and he won't even roll a perception check. Or, 
My character has very traditional values, so he will only use stun on women and children, even if they're clearly trying to murder him. Or let the GM know that your PC is deathly afraid of dark places or spiders or something, and see what they do with that. And now, point six. The last point that I have about not playing overpowered characters. Do dumb stuff. When you're at the table with an overpowered character and you find that you're playing in the most optimal way, then you're going to be overpowered. But let's say that you bring in a build and it can do things well, but you're not doing the best thing that you can do all the time. Maybe you are going mono a mono with one enemy and you're saying, I'm going to take this one enemy down by myself. And you aren't focusing down the one enemy that the rest of the party is taking on, then you might be playing suboptimally, but you're still letting them take on their fair share of the adventuring. Or instead of going to talk to this person, I think I'm going to go and see if I can rewire his uh, steering. Instead of opening fire on this really obviously hostile person, I'm going to go up to him and see if he wants a cracker. A space biscuit, if you will. Decide that instead of trying to uh, blow up a speeder or to try and plant explosives on it, go up and rewire the steering mechanism. You know how much disarming sucks in this system. Try and disarm someone. Do things that are going to basically result in a very low likelihood of success, but honestly will be memorable and add to your character and maybe be funny. This may lend itself more towards chaotic characters, although we don't have alignment in the system, so who cares? But if you're doing things that are a little bit odd and crazy and you are less effective because of that, then you can get away with an overpowered build. Now, be careful not to anger your party while you're doing this. If they're saying, we really need your help over here, and you're going over to read a technical manual on how a power generator works, then you're probably not improving the gaming experience for the rest of the players at your table. But once every now and then is perfectly fine. In the Pathfinder Adventure Path, Rise of the Rune Lords, one of the first encounters is where a swarm of goblins attacks the town where the players are. And if the goblins were taking this attack seriously, then the players would be in a lot of trouble. But they aren't. Uh, and part of the balance of this encounter is that the goblins are doing some really stupid things. Like jumping off of roofs to try and land on people's shoulders and ride them around. Or committing random acts of vandalism. Or searching in barrels for food while fighting is still going on. Or just stopping and menacing people. These actions are intended to give players a bit of a break and try and make sure that they aren't being overwhelmed. And overpowered characters can do the same thing. Except this time, you're making sure that you aren't contributing too much in combat and you're letting other player characters take on that burden. And that is my segment on not how to play an overpowered character. Uh, thank you so much, Sam, for editing this. I'm sure that there's a ton of stuff that you're having to cut out and splice and production on the show. Thank goodness. 
uh, because I did not record all of this in one take. It was like 20. Thank you so much, Little Literalist, for the listener segment. What did you think, Stephen? It was great. Honestly, I think Little Literalist had a lot of really cool ideas. I think I would debate him on yeah. a couple of them <laughs> respectfully. But all in all, amazing listener segment. We'll relegate that to the comments yes. on the Reddit post. Yes. That sound? Yeah, absolutely. Incredible stuff. Uh, Stephen, as always, from one Stephen to another. Thank you so much for your listener segment. We love having it. And I know you're going to say like, oh, I sounded bad, but you sounded great. You sounded great, man. We all good. loved it. Seriously. Steven and I were listening to it while we were filling something out for the patrons and oh, we had yeah. a good time. Seriously. And uh, if you have an idea for a listener segment, please reach out. We yeah. we're very flexible. Have your project files ready. And if you have an idea, you want to broadcast to the Dark Times community, community. I was going to say Dark Times Swissy community, but like the Saga Edition community, Saga Edition community, please. Do so. We'd love to have you. There's no, there's no like bar. Like you, you don't have no, to like, yeah, we don't like, be anything. yeah, it can be anything. We just, yeah. Just preferably send. listenable. Yes. Yeah, so it has to be listenable. <laughs> if I can make it sound like something, you know, if I can make it sound listenable at the end, that sounds great. Yes. Steven, do you have any trivia for us this week? Actually? I do. I do. Uh, I've got two little bits here. Uh, did you know it took six people to work the animatronic puppet of Jabba the Hutt? In Return of the Jedi. Well, it took six people to work Jabba the Hutt. Six separate people Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> puppet really is carrying a lot of weight in that sentence, huh? Definitely. <laughs> Load-bearing puppet yeah. here. And the other one was Admiral Ackbar's famous line, It's a trap! Was originally scripted as, It's a trick! <laughs> Can you imagine? But the line was changed in post-production after negative test screening. Which, like... So they test screened the scene, right? And then people were like, I didn't like it when the fish said trick. Shouldn't it be trap? It, trick doesn't make sense. I mean, I guess it does make sense. Well, I want to see, like, what are the logistics of this test screening? Are they screening just that one scene? Are I they screening the whole movie? But that part in particular did not test well. They were like, man, I really hated the fish saying trick. That was that was rough. <laughs> I hated. They included a weird fish guy in this movie. I hated it. It was ugly to look at. And then Lucasfilm was like, that means we need to change what he's saying. <laughs> God, for real. This one's more of a rumor. But the guy who reprised he reprised his original role as Akbar in The Last Jedi, only to be killed off screen. It's a rumor that he really resented that. He wanted an on screen death yeah. for Akbar. Yeah. Yeah, well, to or at least some, some lines. Okay, I've heard some other rumors about this. Apparently, they had him hold the like the final like like click thing, and then have him say like it's a wrap, and then he was crying while he, while he said it, which is like really sad. But at the same time, like it's a fun and joke. Like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how attached she should be to Admiral Akbar. Yeah, because like in in fanon in our hearts, in my heart, Admiral Akbar is huge. Yeah, he's I mean, also he's got a whole Admiral Snack Bar brand. Yeah, exactly. I, I place a lot of importance on Admiral Snack Bar personally, and I'm sure everyone listening does, too. But also, he's a one line fish guy. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little reality check. But he was my one line <laughs> fish guy, Stephen. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. The show is presented by me, Sam. Stephen's my co-host. You reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend about the show. Tell us you told a friend about the show. We'll shout you both out on the show. Uh, Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Your thoughts betray you, Father. I feel the good in you. The conflict. Happy Life Day, Father. Your son, Luke. I've never seen the holiday special. Me neither. I think I'm going to keep it, though. 
Oh, but it could be a cool little, uh, could be a cool little Patreon watch along. Oh, Patreon watch along. That'd be cool. I feel like we're like two weeks too late to send Maybe out an next email year. for that. Maybe next we'll year. We'll forget by next year. Definitely. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Never forget that uh, for a very long time, all the Star Wars movies were the original trilogy, two Ewoks movies, <laughs> and the holiday special. <laughs> so, like, no matter how, no matter what anyone says about Star Wars movies today, good or bad, just remember that for like twenty years, all we had were the bad ones. <laughs> it was it was the original trilogy, two Ewoks movies, two direct to TV Ewoks movies. And the holiday special. All right. Bosk, thank you so much for joining us. Bosk, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you for having me, boys. <laughs> really big fan of the Dark Times podcast. Yeah, well, we know you got you got some big bounties to take care of today, so we'll go ahead and... Yeah, I've got my tracking fob right here, and it says I've got a bounty on you, Steven. Oh, that's 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 a mistake. That's, that's And a, the reward? <laughs> One hug. <laughs> Get out, everybody! <laughs> Incredible stuff. <laughs>